Hello, and thank you for joining us today. As always, it is such a blessing and a pleasure to be with you. My name is Tyson Cobb, and today we're going to be looking at the first five verses of the Gospel of John. I'm very passionate about these five verses. These five verses, John is telling us about the revelation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. We're going to look at these and we're going to look at the deeper meaning and some of the Greek words and actually specifically what they mean, what John was really trying to convey to the readers of his letter. And before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of background on John. John was one of the 12 disciples. He's credited with writing the gospel, his three epistles, and the book of Revelation. So not only was John one of the 12 disciples, but John, his older brother James, and Peter made up an inner circle of Jesus' disciples. So there was the 12 disciples, but then there was this inner circle that saw more revelation. They were there at the transfiguration, and this is, this is John, his brother James, and Peter. John is presumed to be the only disciple that was not martyred for his faith. And it's not because people didn't try. After being plunged into boiling oil and surviving that, he was banished to the island of Patmos by the Romans. And of course, he was eventually, uh, at an old age, released. At the end of the second century, the bishop of the church of Ephesus claimed that the tomb of John resided there in Ephesus. So as I mentioned today, we're going to look at these five verses and what John is trying to convey, what John is actually trying to tell us. But before we get to those five verses, we have to look at why. Why did John want to tell us in his book about Jesus? So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 30 and 31. And this is what John says. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these that are written, they're written so that many may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's gospel is much different than the other three gospels. Matthew's gospel was written specifically to Jews because Jews understood the Old Testament. They understood the law and they understood the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Mark's gospel was written to the Romans. And while the Romans knew nothing about scripture, the Romans understood power. And Luke's gospel was written specifically to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles loved culture and they loved beauty and ideas. And they didn't have an aspect necessarily of the law. They understood what was being conveyed by Luke was that Jesus was the Christ, that he was God in the flesh. But John makes it, per, makes it clear that his purpose of his writing is so that we can believe. You know, it's interesting. If you read the Gospel of John, not only does he say he's telling us this so that we can believe and have eternal life, but John takes a very personal approach in his writing. He, he actually talks about himself being the one whom Jesus loved. And it's almost as if when you read this Gospel, it gives you a more of an interconnection with knowing who Jesus was as a person. And what John is saying is that not only was Jesus God, but here's the story about my friend and how he saved all of us from eternity, for eternity. So if you would, 
Go to chapter 1. These verses display an awesomeness of Jesus. These verses should put us all in awe of his might, the mightiness of our Savior. As we go through today, that's what I want you to concentrate on. I want you to concentrate on the majesty, the power of our Savior, the majesty and power of Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I can barely read that without getting emotional. John begins this gospel by echoing the creation story. If we look at Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, and John starts his gospel the exact same way, In the beginning. John is basically saying, here is a new story about creation. As we look through the Gospel of John, John has structured his book by a numbers of seven. And why that's important is because the number seven represents a completeness. It represents totality. We see that in many instances in the Bible. Seven, there's seven days of creation, seven pairs of clean and unclean animals in the ark. Seven things the Lord hates in Proverbs 6.16. Seven parables in Matthew 13. Seven woes in Matthew 23. Jesus told Peter to forgive 70 times seven. There's seven bowls of the tribulation, seven spirits before God, seven golden lampstands, seven stars in Christ's right hand, seven seals of Christ's judgment, seven angels with seven trumpets, and on and on. Now, when we look at the Gospel of John, we see that this book is broken into two main parts. The first describes the public ministry of Jesus in seven sections. The second part is when Jesus gave his life for the world. John records seven times that Jesus refers to himself as I am. And in case you don't know, this is the name that God referred to himself in the Old Testament using the word I am. And John records seven miraculous signs that Jesus performed. The Gospel of John makes it clear that Jesus is God and that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, we want to look at these verses individually. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This beginning, this, this in the beginning of the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John is introducing that Jesus, with a word and a term that both Jew and Gentile of the time would have been familiar with. This Greek word, word, is a passage, in, in this passage is logos, and it is it was common both with Greek philosophy and Jews at the time. This term became a technical term in Western philosophy about 500 BC. This term was used for a principle of order, a principle of knowledge. For example, in the Old Testament, the Word of God is often personified as an instrument for the execution of God's will. We see this in Psalms 33.6. Psalms 107.20, Psalms 
Psalms 119.89, Psalms 147.15 through 18. So for his Jewish readers, by introducing Jesus as the Word, John is in a sense pointing them back to the Old Testament, the Logos, the Word. This associated the personification of God's revelation. And in Greek philosophy, the term Logos was used to describe the the intermediate agency between God's creation of the material world and His communication with that world. In Greek worldview, the Logos was thought to be as a bridge between the, the transcendent God and the material universe. Therefore, Greek readers, when they, when they read this word Logos, they would have thought, they would have understood that this is the, the meditating principle between God and the world. So essentially what John is doing by introducing Jesus as the Logos is drawing upon a familiar word, using this as the starting point by which he introduced Jesus Christ. But John goes beyond the familiar concept of Logos that these Jews and Gentile readers would have, been, would have known or been present with at that time. Christ, not only as a, as a meditating principle like the Greeks perceived, but also as a personal being, a divine being, but yet human all in the same time. Also, Christ was not simply a personification of God's revelations as the, revelation as the Jews thought, but was indeed God's perfect revelation of himself in the flesh, God in the flesh. So by using this term, by using the word logos, in John 1.1, 1, 1, John is amplifying and applying the concept with which the audience was familiar and using that to introduce the reader to the true logos, the God, Jesus Christ, the living word, fully God, yet fully man who came to reveal God to man and redeem us all from our sins. You know, John Piper, in talking about this word, the word that describes Jesus, he says this, he says, what God has to say to us was not only or mainly what Jesus said, but also who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was not made with Him. Many Christians believe Jesus was the first thing created. There's so many Christians that believe that, that. Well, Jesus was the first thing that was created. No, that's not true. Jesus was not created. He has always existed. He had no beginning. He has no end. There is never a time that the Son, that Jesus Christ, has not existed. Verse 3, saying that all things were made through Him and without Him, nothing, not anything made, was not made without Him. That is telling us that Jesus is the Creator. So not only was Jesus never created, Jesus has always been, Jesus is God. But not only that, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of the material world. Jesus created all of this. We see in Colossians 1, 
16 through 17, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. When God is creating man, he says, Then God says, Let us make our own image. We see that in Genesis 1.26. When you look at those words, you can say, well, who is this? Us. Let us create an, our own likeness. Who is God referring to when he uses words like us or our? All the way back to the beginning of Genesis, we see the Trinity. When God says, let us make man in our own image, talking about God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, I think something that's really profound to understand here is that Jesus did not come to die for his father's creation. He came as a sacrifice for his own. I want to repeat that again. Jesus did not come to die for his father's creation. He came as a sacrifice for his own creation. As profoundly amazing it's profoundly loving and it speaks to what god truly is that god is love jesus is love we see this as a display in the gospels we see this as a display in his actions past present and even future we see this in the suffering that he suffered for us that he created this world knowing that man would fall and he did it anyways, knowing that he would have to be the sacrifice to make man right with God. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some interesting statistics here. Jesus used, I'm sorry, John uses the word life about 36 times in the gospel, far more than any other gospel. The word life refers to the spiritual and eternal life imparted as a gift for those that believe in him. In scripture, light and darkness are symbolic. Light is refers to the to biblical truth. Darkness refers to error and falsehood. Light refers to Holiness and purity. Darkness refers to sin and wrongdoing. Darkness has this significant relationship with Satan. John uses the term darkness 14 times. Eight times in the gospel, six other times in the book, in the first book of John, in his first epistle. Now, let me read verse 5 one more time. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This word overcome means that darkness is not able to overcome or to conquer the light. Just like if you were to take a single candle into a dark room, the darkness cannot overcome the light of a candle. But that the power of the darkness doesn't even touch that. It cannot touch the sun. It cannot touch the perfect work of Christ and what Christ did for us through his death on the cross. I think the other key point here is this word in Greek, this word 
overcome actually has additional meaning than what we would believe to be overcome. And a lot of the times when we think about overcome, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't bypass it or it wouldn't defeat it. This word overcome also means understood. So really, you could read it and it could be said, it, it could be read like this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome or understood it. You see, Satan, the fallen angels, the evil of this world cannot even understand the magnificent love, the magnificent power, the magnificent essence of Christ, of of God. Even Satan being an angel in heaven, he still cannot understand God. It's powerful. So not only did Jesus create the world knowing that man would fall, knowing that he would be the sacrifice for us to make us right with God. But when we think about that and we think about not only did he do that, not only did he create this, not only did he redeem this, he, he, will, he will return to end it. Jesus will see it full circle. That's why in the book of Revelations, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That means beginning and end. That Jesus is fully the beginning and he is fully the end. When we think about this, when we think about how great Jesus was, when we think about how powerful Jesus was, that all of creation is there for him, how do we we think about How can we not just either fall on our knees and worship Him or stand at our feet and jump and praise God? How can we not do either when we know what He has done for us? And not only done for us, but to understand a full revelation of Christ. And I don't think we can even grasp that. Even the angels in heaven, the fallen angels, the darkness can't even understand the full revelation of God to get a full grasp of God. So how great is God? We can't even understand. We can't even come to revelation to understand. When we speak his name, Shouldn't something emotionally move in us? Shouldn't something physically happen? How do we take things in the world? Like we watch a football or a soccer game and and we can scream when the refs do something that we don't like for our team or we can shout with joy when our team scores a goal or a point of things that probably won't necessarily matter in a year or in 10 years or even tomorrow. But we can get emotionally moved by that. How much more should what Christ did for us move us? How much more should it be? The psalmist said in Psalm 98, 4-9, Shout to the Lord all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with harp, with a melodious song, with the song of a ram's horn. 
Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything that is in it praise and shout praise to the Lord. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. You know, it's interesting. On Palm Sunday, here's Jesus. And He is riding into Jerusalem and He is coming down off the Mount of Olives. And the Pharisees have something to say to Him. But while He's doing this, the people are shouting. They have seen the miracles. They are calling Him Hosanna. They are saying, praise be to God. And in Luke 19, verse 39 and 40, this is what the Pharisees say to Him. They say, teacher, rebuke your followers. They are saying things like that. And Jesus replies and he says this. He says, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheer. If we think Jesus is awesome and powerful, know this. He is more awesome and he is more powerful than any of us could possibly imagine. So today as I close, I hope you reflect on these verses. I hope you reflect on the majesty and the power of God. I hope that you take time in your day. That as you walk outside, that as you are with your family, while you are with other people that God created in His own image, that the world cries out and blesses God. It shouts cheers. Jesus says even the rocks would cheer if the people were quiet. All of creation cries out to God. How do we not cry out with joy and praise more often? I pray this message moves you to push in and connect with God even deeper. I hope it helps with a glimpse of the power that Jesus has and the connection that He wants with each one of us by what He did for us. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank You for Your your Word that is ever-living. That the Word became flesh and that Jesus saved us. That all that believe in Him and repent of their sins can be made right with God. Lord, I pray that You would move each one of us. That we would not take a day where we would not reflect on the power. That we would, that we would reflect. That, we, that there wouldn't be a day go by that we don't. That we reflect on the power and the majesty. That we would pray fervently to You to understand Jesus and to understand, to understand Him in a deeper way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for making us right with you. And I pray that as we are children of God, that we are bold in our right, not because of anything we've done, but because of what you have done for us, Jesus. That we can cry out to you, Abba, Father.
Let our hearts be right. And let us seek you in a deeper meaning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now for anyone else that has never, I mentioned a minute ago, for those of us that believe in Jesus and repent of our sins, we can accept this gift that Jesus provided, this gift of eternal life. If you have never done that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want to explain it to you. You see, our sin separates us from a perfect and holy God. That's why Jesus came to this earth, so that He could stand in our place. He lived a sinless life. He died and rose from the dead, defeating sin and defeating death. And by Him doing that, anyone that believes in Him, that puts their faith and trust in Him, believing that He is God, believing in His sacrifice being 100% perfect, anyone that turns from their sins and believes that can have eternal life with God, can have eternal life with Jesus. So maybe today while I was talking, maybe the Spirit was talking to you. Jesus says, Behold, I stand and knock, and anyone who opens the door, I will dine with them and them with me. So if the Spirit is revealing itself to you, if you are feeling a pull towards that, it is, it is nothing of the world, it is, it is the Spirit speaking to you. If you want to repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You can be saved from being separated from God at your death. You say, how do you do that? Well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing special or magical about the prayer. It is a change of heart that draws every repenter towards forgiveness. If you want forgiveness, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I am desperately in need of a Savior. I believe that you are the Son of God. That you came to earth and you died as a sacrifice for my sin. You stood in my place. I repent of my sin. And I turn and follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for allowing me to spend eternity in heaven with you. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to hear from you. Please message us. Please email us so that we can rejoice with you. And please like, share, subscribe, whatever your choice for social media so that this message can reach more people for Christ. God bless you.